Here in Bible Ephesians chapter 1, um, we today we will be looking specifically at verse 7 to 10. Before our passage reading, I actually want to read verses 3 to 14 for us. Alright. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, let's start with verse 3. This is God's word. I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Him we have attained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let me pray for us. Father, may you bless the reading of your word. It's a great word. It's a word that's so filled with such deep truths. God, may we marvel at your truths. Because your truths proclaim who you are. And that, that creates worship in our hearts. So Lord God, then may we come before you today and worship you through, through your word. By looking at it, by reading it, by studying it, by listening to it, by hearing it. May the hearts, may the ears in our hearts listen, be open to hear what you have to say. May you be with me, Father. May you, may you help my congestion go away, at least just for this time, so I can speak your word clearly. Father, may your spirit be the one that moves and speak a better message. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, to, so we've been going through Ephesians. We just started a few weeks ago or last month. And, and and the reason why I read from verse 3 to 14 is because in the Greek, that is one sentence. That it's, I don't know if it's the longest sentence in the New Testament, but it is one whole sentence from verse 3 to 14. And and it's just, I mean, it's it's a pure run-on run sentence. There's, there's just prepositions after prepositions after prepositions. And if you thought I was long-winded, look at Paul right here, right? And so, last time, PD, PT started, lead us in, in reading and studying verses 3 to 6. And, and we've begun to, to dive deep into, into this passage. And, and what, what we see here is that as Paul is writing this, this huge long sentence, what he's doing is he's, he's firing thought after thought. He's... He's spilling out these truths. He, he's shooting them. They're on rapid fire. His, his hand is on the trigger. And he can't let go. And he's spraying doctrine left and right. And so, 
how are we supposed to make sense of this? Right? In English, we have it divided up into different sentences. We have periods put in place, but those are all interpreted by how, how these translators think they should be broken up. What we should actually be seeing is that this whole piece right here is, is just this one continuous thought, logic after logic, and we should read it as one, which is why I read it that way. But tonight, we will take a very specific look at verses 7 to 10. But before we do that, I want to bring us back and, and understand the main point of this huge sentence. Whenever you deal with any sentences, the most important part of a sentence is the main clause. And the main clause of this sentence starts in verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the main clause. And so verse 3 begins with blessed be. <coughs> this, that is one word in the Greek. It's eulogetos. Uh, it's where we get our English word for eulogy. It, it, it means good word. It's giving praise to God. And we, we find this phrase in, in different spots in the New Testament. We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. We also find it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And in both times, in all three times here, we, they're on the first part of the letter. And it's this eulogy, just giving praise to God. The author of those, every time they're doing that, they're writing praise to God. And so then the rest of this passage here, after verse 3, it's explaining describing why God deserves all this praise. And so here in verse 3, we see that God the Father deserves our praise because He has blessed us in Christ, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we see here the word blessed being used another two times. And so we have Three times in this one verse, the word blessed being used. And so the main theme of the session is, is blessing. That, that's the main theme. Where we're talking here about blessing. And, and the rest of this sentence is just about how God has blessed us. And we get a list of spiritual blessings. And so last time, in, in, the, in the preceding verses, we see particularly two blessings. First, God's election, or Him choosing us before the foundation of the world. And we should be holy and blameless before Him. And so God chose to save us. God chose us because we, in our sins, are unable to save ourselves. Unable to find our way back to God. But God, in His divine intervention, reached out, chose us, saved us, and gave us new life. Gave us salvation. And that's all found in Christ. And the second blessing we come across here is our adoption into His family. That we are His children, sons of God, through Christ. That we are more than just servants, more than just mere people of His kingdom. We gain access to God as His children, and we can call Him Father. And that's, that's an amazing truth right there. Tonight, we will take a deeper look into verse 7 to 10. And in these verses, we'll look specifically at the spiritual blessing of redemption. The spiritual blessing of redemption. And... And what we're going to look at specifically here is first we're going to look at the price of redemption. Then we will look at the prize of redemption. And finally we'll look at the purpose of redemption. So first, first we will see the price of redemption. 
And, and we see this in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Redemption through His blood. We, we, we got, it says here, it says here that Paul writes, In Him. So what is Him here? Him refers back to the Beloved. And so we know that this is talking about Christ here. And throughout this time, every time this phrase, in Him, is used, and we, we, when I was reading it, you heard that over and over again, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Christ. It's always referring that Christ is the centerpiece. But what does Paul mean by this phrase? What well, is word in, in the Greek, it, it, it denotes a personal close relationship, an internal relationship, a relationship that's, that's deep. We're talking about people as if two people who are in, in love with one another. And so this is a very close relationship. And so now we have then Christ, and we are in Him, meaning we have a personal, close relationship with Christ. And it's through this relationship that we gain all these blessings. And here in verse 7 it says, In Him we have redemption. Redemption here literally means to be released. Be released or to be to be freed, to be delivered. The imagery we get from this word is, is a slave in bondage. Someone who's, who, someone, someone who's, who's, who's chained up. And the only way for this person to be free from this chains is if someone else on the outside pays a ransom, pays a price to free that slave. And what we see here then is the price of redemption because our redemption was paid for by the blood of Christ. And, and Paul here specifically uses the word blood. We have to keep that in mind because Paul didn't say the life of Christ. Paul didn't say the death of Christ. Paul didn't say the body of Christ. That's not how we gain redemption. We gain redemption through the blood of Christ. Paul wants his audience to understand that Jesus' death was a sacrifice. And that's what we denote here. That's what we get here. Is that this word for blood here represents a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial payment for our freedom. That Jesus didn't just die, but he died willingly and purposefully for us. So what are we being freed from then? If redemption means to be free, to be delivered, what was holding us in captive? The next phrase tells us this. It says, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So here, redemption refers then to our forgiveness that we gain. Forgiveness from our trespasses. The, blood, the result of Christ's payment in blood is the forgiveness of our sins. It was our sins that held us captive. We were enslaved to our sins. If you read later in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes this about sin. He says that you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's what it looked like when we were enslaved in our sins. That by nature, we 
We couldn't escape. Instead, we were all under wrath. And, and so we were hopelessly captive to our sins, blinded to God, separated from His blessing. We were in desperate need of a Savior. And God provided one. In Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 25, Paul writes this in Romans. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Again, we see here that God is appeased by a blood sacrifice. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death. Therefore, in order to live, in order to live, or us to live, someone else must die in our place. And that's, that was the whole purpose of the rituals in the Old Testament, is that someone else would die in our place. In the Old Testament, it was the way to repay the debt of our sin was through the blood sacrifice of a lamb. But now with Christ, now with Christ, that looks different. We, we, a blood sacrifice was needed, but yet Jesus Christ didn't, didn't sacrifice a lamb to redeem us. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says this, that that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Meaning there doesn't need to be any more sacrifices. Jesus' one sacrifice of himself was enough to redeem us for eternity. So then we look back then at Ephesians. The whole concept of Christ's sacrificial death for our sins is contained right here in verse 7. Right, right here in verse 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then it says, according to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace. Here we, here we see the weight of the payment of God. The key word here is according to. According to. There's a difference between giving out of your wealth and giving according to your wealth. Right? A millionaire. If a millionaire gave you a hundred dollars, you will rejoice because you're college students. You have no money. <laughs> and, but but we can say that that hundred dollars didn't cost that millionaire anything. That was just a drop in the bucket. But if this same millionaire donated half of his wealth, five hundred thousand dollars to this church. We will say that he gave according to his wealth, not out of his wealth, because no one else can pay that same amount. Only select a few can. So, in the same way, if we look at this verse, that we have redemption through his blood, a payment by his blood, that was given according to the riches of his grace. This means that this is no small sacrifice. That God gave His only begotten Son for us. This sacrifice that God made was painful. 
It took, it took God himself and the full weight of his grace to pay for the cost of our sins. Guys, don't think your sins was a small cost. Your sins have a huge eternal cost. And Christ paid that through his blood. That is the price of our redemption. Ponder upon that truth. Because the deeper we ponder upon that, and the deeper we realize how much God loves us, that he would sacrifice his son so that we can be adopted into his family. What a great truth that is, guys. Moving on, second we see then the prize of our redemption. In verse 8, in verse 8 we see here the result of that forgiveness. It says here that God lavished upon us, lavished upon us His grace. Right, This which refers back to His grace. So God lavishes grace upon us. The word lavish here has an imagery of overabundance, being overwhelmed. God's grace is being poured out on us like a waterfall. We're drowning in His grace. And it's a grace that we do not deserve, and yet we receive abundantly. Paul further describes his action, saying that God lavishes His grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. All wisdom and insight. And here we have to understand what these two words mean. Because we didn't just receive a clean slate to, to go on living the way we used to live through God's through 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 the blood of Christ. What we get here when we are saved is we also get wisdom and insight. In other words, we get everything we need to know. Everything we need to know to understand this world and our place in it. These two words are, are pretty much synonyms. They pretty much mean the same thing. They, they both refer to knowledge. However, wisdom here, they tend to lean more to the theoretical side of knowledge. While insight here tends to lean more towards the applicational side of knowledge. And so together we get this full picture of what this knowledge must look like, both the content and its application. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the way how Ephesians is laid out, right? The first three chapters of Ephesians is, is very theologically doctrine-heavy. And the last three chapters of Ephesians is focused on that practical aspect of that theology. What does that do to our lives now, today? And so what do we get here? Why, why does Paul here write this specific phrase? Paul writes this because in God's grace, we gain all wisdom and insight needed to live wisely. And living wisely is ultimately how God wants us to live. It's, it's, it's the way we ought to live. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so what kind of wisdom are we talking about here? We're talking about wisdom. A wisdom that guides us to live in reverent fear for God and His Word. We live wisely by living according to what God has revealed to us in His Scripture. And, and we know this, and, and, yet, and we know this is a very high calling. And many times we tend to fall short 
to live into what Scripture demands of us, right? It's difficult to live obediently to God's Word. But you should understand what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying that because we are saved, we must now live in all wisdom and insight. Paul is saying here that is, what he's saying here is that as a result of our forgiveness, a result of our forgiveness, we now gain the wisdom and insight so that we can live wisely. In other words, this wisdom and insight are tools to help us live wisely. And we get all this in His grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 clarifies this some more. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Okay, that was ugly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 clarifies this. If you turn there and you look at verse 6 to 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. Here Paul, again writing this time to a Christian church, he says this. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what we see here, we see similar language happening here. The wisdom that Paul and the apostles want to impart to us as, his, as, their, as their listeners is not from man, but from God. But then how are we supposed to understand this wisdom? What are we supposed to make of this wisdom? What is this wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, move forward to, to verse 12 and 13. It says, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely by God. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, we receive the Holy Spirit in us, in God's grace, so that we can now understand the truth of God. The only way to live obediently to God's Word, to live wisely under God's Word, is through the Spirit that works in us to help us understand God's Word. And therefore, by God's grace, through the Holy Spirit, we now have the mind of Christ. That's verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have the mind of Christ. <coughs> and ultimately, this is what it means to have a biblical worldview. That we no longer see this world through our own eyes, but instead we see and understand this world through the lens of Scripture. That when we deal with current events, when we deal with other people and we're conversing with them, when we're battling our emotions, when we're making decisions, we do all this under the authority and guidance of the Word of God. And we're only able to do this by God's grace because He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand what Scripture teaches. And that is the wisdom and insight that we gain <coughs> in His grace. Excuse me. And so the prize of our redemption is all wisdom and insight given to us abundantly by God through His grace in Christ. But that's only the starting point. Because in the next two verses, we'll hit upon the purpose of our redemption. And the purpose, and this purpose that, that we're going to see, we won't be able to understand this purpose unless we have wisdom and insight. 
If we didn't have this in the first place, we won't understand what Paul calls the mystery of God's will. And so now we, we turn to verse 9, back in Ephesians chapter 1. We see the purpose of redemption. Here, we, we, we fall upon a phrase in verse 9, where Paul says, the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. Uh, now, mystery is a mis- mystery. It's, it's hidden. We, we don't understand what a mystery is. We, we are supposed to solve mysteries. But we're not Sherlock Holmes. We don't need Sherlock Holmes. We have God and his insight and wisdom and his Holy Spirit. And he will help us understand what this mystery is. What is this mystery that's supposed to be revealed? Well, Paul doesn't necessarily say, explain what his mystery is here in this passage. But if you turn later to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, he makes it pretty clear. He calls this mystery in, in verse 4, chapter 3, <clears throat> the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. So we know that this mystery that we're talking about here is, is related to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says very just literally, clearly, this mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is in Christ, salvation is now open to all people, to both Gentiles and Jews. It's open because in Christ, all people can receive redemption. All people can receive the forgiveness of their sins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory this mystery is Christ and the salvation that can be gained through him to fully understand this we, we have to understand this we have to understand this mystery. But in order to understand why it was a mystery at first, we have to understand the storyline of the Old Testament. That starting with Genesis, God created man and woman in His own image. Created in the image of God to represent God, to walk closely with God, to walk in an intimate relationship with God. And in the Garden of Eden, God was with Adam and Eve. And there was peace. But once Adam and Eve sinned, God's perfect creation was disrupted and chaos entered this world. Sin entered into this world. And we see the first example of this chaotic world in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, where we see Cain and Abel, brothers, blood brothers, and yet Cain will kill his own brother. A person made in the image of God. You see how immediately that effect of sin was? How chaotic the world has just become? How far man was from God? And, and even more so, when we see this, we, we have to start wondering about the promise God made to Eve. Right? God made pro- a promise to Eve saying, Eve, your offspring will redeem mankind one day. Will restore peace to this chaotic world. And yet... We just read that Abel died in the hands of Cain. Where is this seed? 
which offspring is going to come? And generation after generation, it seems like no one takes up that mantle. And every single time we think there's hope, that hope evaporates so fast. From Abraham to Moses to David, and on and on, patriarch after patriarch, king after king, no one seems to be that offspring. And, and, the, and at the same time, the world seems to be falling deeper and deeper into sin, into darkness. And, and we just wonder, just think about it, before Christ, just people wondering, where is God? Where is this promise, offspring? Where is the redemption? And what makes things even worse, right before the New Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's like 300 years of silence from God. As if he just left this world. There's a mystery to God's, to God's will in all this. But then in the New Testament comes Christ. The Son of God. The Son of Man. The perfect incarnate one. The one who is both God and man. And he came. And through Christ this mystery was made clear. That this was the fulfillment of everything. That through Christ in his life through Christ and His death, through Christ and His resurrection, redemption was made possible. It was through Christ that everything was fulfilled and this mystery was made clear. Christ was the catalyst. In Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you then see how God's plan of salvation, everything from the Old Testament, everything that flows out of the New Testament, is made possible because of Christ? That's why then, back in Ephesians, verse 9 to 10, Paul writes that this mystery of his will happens, is made known according to his purpose. His purpose that he set before the foundation of the world. And it made, is made known according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the, full, for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Meaning, all things in Christ will now be united in harmony and peace. That peace that we, that mankind has been searching for since the fall. All things united in heaven and earth under Him. And yet this, guys, this isn't the end. God's plan of salvation continues on today. Continues on, and you and I, guys, are a part of that plan. The church is a part of that plan. And we have the privilege to be part of God's will today. To spread the good news of Christ so that others may receive the redemption and forgiveness of their sins and be drawn into this kingdom and to be intertwined into this great mystery. 
God today is still bringing more and more sinners into His kingdom, uniting them all under the name of Christ. And what that means, guys, what that means, guys, that this fullness of time here, this fullness of time here is not complete. That's not done. That it points to a future time. A time when all that God has predestined, all those who God has called to salvation, all them who have believed, will be drawn together in one place under Christ to sing to Him and to worship Him and to be in full, perfect union and relationship with Him. When Christ comes back, He will judge this world. He will throw all sinners into hell. But for those who believe in Him, those saints, they will rise up in union. There will be peace. Saints from all nations, all languages, all ethnicity, seen together, united, worshiping God under the headship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings. This is the purpose of our redemption. To be united with all things in Christ so that creation can be restored in peace and harmony and sin eliminated. Christ is at the center of it all, sustaining all things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 sums it up the best. In Colossians chapter 1, starting from verse 15, Paul here writes about Christ and he said that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Guys, do you understand this faith, this salvation? Is that your faith, your salvation? This is what it means to live for Christ. When Scripture tells us to give up our lives to follow Christ, it is saying that we have no other purpose in our lives but to join in in God's plan of salvation. And God's plan of salvation is still unfolding, still moving, still being accomplished now, today. This is why Scripture tells us not to live for the gain of this world, but to live for what we will gain in our union with Christ and His purpose. And, and we will look forward. We will look forward to this day when all things are underneath Him. But I do want to make one more note about this passage in Ephesians. Back in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says we have redemption. We have redemption. The word have there is a present tense. 
Meaning today, right now, we can experience these blessings. That today we can experience joy and peace that comes from this grace. That we have this all in Christ alone. That we can experience the joy of our salvation because we can rejoice in the God who sacrificed His Son for our redemption. We can experience the peace of our salvation because within the church today, the body of Christ, we're all working together, ministering together. The walls have been broken. And our relationship has been reconciled because we are all now united together in Christ. Christ is our head. And that is an amazing truth. Guys, hold on to that. Do you rejoice in your salvation today? To close, I want to point us back to the purpose of this whole eulogy. In verse 3. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, everything we do now flows from this truth. That we have been redeemed. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. We have been given wisdom and insight. We know the mystery of His will. And most of all, we have this deep and intimate relationship with Christ. Everything is in Him, for Him. Let us then give Christ all the glory, all the praise, all the honor that He deserves. Let us sing then to our great God and Savior. With that, I'm going to invite Andrew up and just play another song. So we can sing then to Christ, who is our Savior, who purchased us with His blood. And let me pray for us. And let's go then to God in humbleness and meekness and with joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. God, you, you sent your son to die on the cross for, for us, sinners, enemies. And, and you planned all this, planned all this even before we were born. And it's amazing, it's amazing to know how much you love us, God. That you will be willing to sacrifice your son for us so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be redeemed to fulfill the purpose by which we were created, to have a relationship with a great God, and to be able to worship Him, and to be able to sing with Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, for... for just loving us, we totally don't deserve it. So Lord God, may we then just hold on to this truth and, and really just sing out to God. Sing out to you. Because you deserve all of our praise. So, thank you God. That's all we can say to you. Thank you. I pray all this in your holy and precious name.